Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hi, guys. This is Faye from Phaseworld Media, and I'm here with... Kimberly Warner from Unfixed Media. Welcome, Kim. I'm so happy to be here, Faye. I know we've only spoken a few times, but I just feel like, I don't know, I feel a kinship with you. So again, I'm happy to spend an hour with you today. Oh, what a pleasure. I mean, seriously, last time, you know, when we got introduced through Moyes and prior to that through BJ, um, I just had this feeling the moment I, I saw your Instagram account, I read your stories. Uh, and the film, all the documentary films you have been producing, I felt uh, that instant connection and respect. Because frankly, you know, before uh, I produced Phase World Documentary, I had no idea how challenging, how impossible it is to pr- produce films. And I, I wonder if you feel the same way. You know? <laughs> oh man, it is so hard. I love it. I love it. I love it. But if you could only, well, I should get my husband who's, he's a brand designer. He's upstairs. If he could count the days of tears that he's seen of just feeling like nobody cares, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> listening. I mean, it is painstaking work. Um, and it always comes down to money. There's an endless amount of stories, an endless amount of creativity, Right. Endless amount of really beautiful human beings who are dying to be heard. Mm-hmm. That's not hard. The hard part is getting the powers that be recognize these stories as, as valuable or something that they can monetize on or whatever. Um, and even within the film world, I've this last year, I, oh, how many grants did I apply for? I think I did 12 of the major film grants and granted it was in the middle of a pandemic. A lot of grant funding was pulled. Um, I got 12 rejection letters and it's just, and oh my gosh, I'm, I mean, I have never felt so positive and encouraged. I have so many letters from humans all over the world saying this work you're doing is so important, Mm -hmm. but those are unfortunately the people that don't have the money. And aren't going, well, chronic illness is kind of a bummer, you know, that's sort of the, the where the stopping point is. And I'm going on here. On no, a not at all. I think, I think this conversation is so uh, meaningful and actually very helpful to people who are on that creator journey, because mm-hmm. I joke about saying, you know, if you go on YouTube, there are a lot of popular YouTubers or videos are getting a lot of views you're seeing two videos that are weeks apart. The first one is why I quit my nine to five. And the other is why I'm making, how I'm making seven figure uh, income last month. And you're thinking what, what happened all the in-between stories and, and granted, you know, there are people who have gotten lucky, who worked really hard. 
uh, hit the right industry at the right time. But it's also really important about making decisions to do work that are truly meaningful to you. Um, so for, for people who don't your, know your work um, as well, uh, I've linked uh, all your social media, including YouTube, which means people get to watch the documentary series uh, in, on their own term and time. Um, but it just briefly, you know, Kimberly has written, shot, directed, edited narrative films even before this unfixed community or unfixed media series talking about chronic illness. And, um, and also, Kimberly, you were inspired by this, uh, by this series because I have read your own story, even though you're not in front of the camera all the time. Um, you talked about that I found in practice, is it cervical genic vertical um, that you discovered in 2015, I believe? Very good. <laughs> yeah. Very good. That's a good word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At cervicogenic was sort of where there was the original diagnosis. Typically, people with vestibular disorders end up with multiple. It's just, it's a complex system somewhere between our ears and our brain. Um, so that is also mal de debarkment and vestibular migraine, and often these three go together. Um, and there's different. Uh, ways we can cope with them. There's no cure for any of them. So that is what, like you said, that's what sort of selfishly started me on this journey with the chronic illness docu-series. Um, I needed help. Um, I, well, for anybody that's listening out there, that's a creative, start with what you need to learn. Um, because boy, this is a journey that I was really, just bashing my head up against the wall. I, I was a fixer. I still am. I mean, I'm a perfectionist. So it's like, I've got a problem. I need to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I spent two years and upwards of $70,000 trying to fix this problem. Mm -hmm. And it just kept getting worse. Um, and I, I got to the point where I thought I, I need to learn how to live well with this. I'm going to, I'm going to ruin my life. Right. Um, I need to know that I can be happy and physically miserable at the same time, which just felt like a complete, if I can swear, like a complete mindfuck, you know, yeah. like how do you feel like shit and be joyful at the same I time? I with feeling like shit sometimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we're all new, right? So right. once you, you're able, you, that's kind of a superpower because we can, it's so easy to make decisions or make so-called right decisions or make decisions easily when you feel good or you, when you wake up, like everything feels just fine. Some days I'm like, wow, I slept so well. And some days you get up and you're like, okay, and what, how do I get through the rest of today? And, um, but being okay. And, and like you said, um, that our, I feel like we touched upon a lot of things. Um, I want to kind of break down a little bit, which is the idea of unfixed or what you call rebalanced life that many of us still is like, let's go back. This is a new normal, which is a new way of approaching life. Um, but could you maybe help me and help us understand how you're able to kind of overcome that journey of not feeling like this is even your body anymore, that you know, you're still a young person and how do you get through, like, what did you do to kind of not bypass that, but to remedy and remediate that process? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, it's a big journey of mine. Um, 
the the place I return to more and more is discovering that, that this inner stillness um, is unconditional. And the way to cultivate that inner stillness for me, I think everyone needs to find whatever that means to them. For some, it's religion. For some, it's, you know, prayer or meditation. For me, you know, the visual, I'm sure you've heard this metaphor. The sky is always blue. There is weather and clouds and all kinds of things that happen within that. But the sky is unchanging. And so if I can, and I do this almost daily when I wake up because there's this strange, the sensation is that I'm constantly on a boat. Um, some days the seas are eight foot seas. Some days they're just gentle, you know, lapping two foot waves. But when I wake up, it's sort of an assault to my nervous system. So I go to the blue sky and I can hold the experience and the, um, with stillness. And it's, it's, a, it's a shift of awareness, really. It's just a perceptive thing. I'm not... You know, at first I thought, well, maybe I'm having sort of a split personality thing, but I really could access this ability to to allow the experience to happen, let it be, don't resist it. Right. And in that allowing, there's this holding then, and the holding is still, and the holding doesn't move. Um, some will call that awareness and whatever. And it's not, I'm not like enlightened or anything. This is a daily moment to moment practice for me. Last night I was miserable in tears again, just because it's just, it comes on so hard sometimes and it's so debilitating. So I'm no Buddha, um, but it is, I do know that it's possible. And so to be able to use that in any circumstance in life um, doesn't have to be a chronic illness. It can be, you know, a challenging marriage or a difficult situation with your child, whatever it is, there's this, there's this ability to step away from it and watch it and allow it um, that creates some inner stillness. Yeah. And I mean, you, you talk about, as you were talking, I try to think through like the way, especially how I live my everyday or the creator journey, there's that connection of people feel like the, there's a need to be perfect or relatively perfect. Um, and like before we started recording, you know, there's work being done in my basement and there was some sound and I was fetching for a headphone. Um, I usually have these things ready, but then you know, I, I usually, it's interesting, like part of me is saying, I got to make sure that when I go live, it's not very forgivable, right? Like there's going to be background sounds and I want to make sure I have the questions ready, uh, that, that Kimberly's having the best experience ever. But I think we, we somehow, what do you think, like we put too much pressure on ourselves perhaps to try to be perfect when there isn't a need to be perfect, especially when it comes to live stream, we're living, uh, living a life in general. Yeah. And you know what, Faye, like, the connections happen in the imperfection. I mean, this, I, we, I, I heard this quote yesterday, um, and this is relevant to what you just said. It's with chronic illness, um, we often lose. Our, our, our friends become strangers and our strangers and strangers become friends. Mm -hmm. And I believe that happens because when we connect through our chronic illness or whatever, through those communities, um, there's an imperfection. We, you know, we we allow ourselves to go to the depths of 
the mess of who we are that, you know, and instead of kind of presenting ourselves in these polished ways, um, and that allows for a, just a deeper connection and conversation. And we don't have these expectations. We all love to be perfectionists. I, like I said, I am still a perfectionist, but I'm realizing that that intimacy that I have discovered myself through this journey and through doing this docuseries with others, I have never had these, this depth of friendships um, ever in my life. And I think that has everything to do with the fact that we're just letting it all hang out, you know? Yeah. And then I want to get right into uh, the docuseries. But before that, I forgot to thank you and, and tell you that you helped me tremendously. I believe middle of June, June 15th, that's when I had my, I was moderating for the session I was telling you about. Um, I was really nervous going into this women's uh Leaders Association, HR Summit. There was an event I was moderating that was estimated to be five to 6,000 live attendees. I was interviewing uh, Steve Wozniak and, you know, uh, John Mackey and all those guys. And uh, and I mentioned very briefly during our first call, I said, well, I feel like I'm so quirky. I'm like so not cool and super smooth sometimes. And you're like, you know what? You're totally honest. You said, I kind of like that. I think people like that these days when you're not perfect. When, the, when there's something a little bit funky, maybe even a little bit weird about you. And that becomes kind of part of you, part of your brand that makes you memorable. And I think that's exactly what hit me. And then you made me, you kind of helped me imagine and envision myself as being imperfectly perfect for the event and to be able to connect all these mostly women uh, who called into this massive Zoom webinar um, and I was at the same level. I didn't, you know, I didn't look down on myself as uh, comparing to these people with certain assets, certain reputation. I felt like I was talking to my friends. So thank you for that. That went super well. And I, I uh, I'll do it again oh, I bet you were fantastic. And I bet they're all looking at you like, man, she's, she's so good at this. <laughs> I you were probably thinking, wow, she really knows what's going on. I, <laughs> our self-perception versus the, you know, others, it's just this really interesting, I don't know, interplay of our life for some reason. But I um, let's talk about the, the documentary series. So you've interviewed people with, um, I, I don't want to call it anybody with mild chronic illness. A lot of them have pretty serious situation and illness that they're dealing with. I even saw one gentleman with ALS. Uh, I've seen stories um, of people with stage four cancer who used to be, you know, end of life clinicians themselves. And wow, that's a, that is really, that is really challenging. Like, could you, let's see, how do we break this down even? Like, what are some of the, the stories that come to mind? Maybe recent stories or something that kind of hit you, you would like to share with people who are about to go watch the series? Well, actually the, the latest video that we did together um, was based on a question that, I actually used to work with um, young adults who had lost parents, um, had had death of a parent, and they, we did a theater troupe together. And these uh, young adults wanted to ask the question, would you give up everything you've learned since that person has died in order to have them back again? And, you know, they would, and during rehearsals, they'd go back and forth. I'm like, yes, no, of course, I'd love to see my dad. And But it was a really interesting question 
And actually in the theater performance, none of them decided to say yes. They wanted to um, preserve the, the depth of character um, and the lessons and the wisdom that they gained. So I, I flipped the question around with this community um, in the docu-series and we said, would you give up everything that you've learned since you've been diagnosed in order to be fully and forever cured? Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, the question, the answers that we got. So for those of who don't know, uh, this has started during the pandemic. So I'm not going around with a crew and cameras. They're just turning their smartphones onto themselves. And um, we had, I mean, the majority of the people said, no, I would not give it up. And, and I celebrate all the answers. I'm not saying like, okay, yay, we're all saying, you know, we're in this camp. It's, well, it's I'm saying no for today. Ask me tomorrow. And I might say, yes, hell yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Dylan, the gentleman with ALS said, um, to have my voice back, to be able to feed through um, my mouth and not a tube, to be able to be mobile, to know that I have decades of life ahead. He was a six years um, graduated at, as a physician, right as upon his diagnosis. So he had just done six years of training and preparing himself to care for others in his lifetime and then was diagnosed. So he said, you know, on a superficial level, absolutely. I would to trade, you know, this sort of intangible lesson that I've gained from being diagnosed with this for all of these other things that I've lost. Of course I would. But he goes on to say, mm-hmm. however, all of those intangible lessons are are what make us who we are. And, you know, and if we are to actually look at like what a soul is our souls are you know constantly being chiseled away at and and sculpted upon through our the 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 circumstances of our lives and what we glean from those circumstances so basically he said if you were to really rephrase the question it's would I be willing to give up my soul Mm -hmm. to not have this chronic illness and he said of course not so um you know goosebump (laughs) material Um, Wow. And then I imagine when you're having this conversation, and I don't know which stage Dylan is in with ALS, um, was he still, was he able to speak? You mentioned he wasn't at this point. So was it through a computer, um, kind of virtually generated speech? He speaks through, uh, it's a motion, eye motion tracking device. So we we actually, I, I use Rev. I have an app on my phone. He types out his answer using his eyes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, spends a couple days typing out his answer and then I'll call him, meaning, you know, he's not like, you know, pick up the phone and go, hey, Kim, it's like this automated, hello, <laughs> are you ready for me? And then um, I click record and he clicks play on his device and his, you know, sort of AI voice, it's not his voice, reads what he wrote so I don't know what his voice sounds like. When we started this, he didn't have his voice. He It's been very progressive ALS. Right, right. He diagnosed in 2018. Oh, wow. That's That feels so soon. Um, ALS is one, one of the, um, I would say, the chronic illness that really hits me, not because of the ice water bucket challenge, that alone, but to watch documentaries, it's one of those... Uh, 
films and stories that always, always makes me cry and makes me look very deeply inside myself to realize like, you know, what frustrates us seems really insignificant, even though sometimes that's not necessarily what these films trying to convey, right? It's about mm -hmm. respecting and, and having, giving voice to the voiceless, um, which is so much of what you're doing. And I'm just out of, you know, curiosity, when you are talking, communicating with um, Dylan through digital voice in general, were you able to, you know, some of those sound a little robotic. And part of me is thinking like, I interviewed Mick Ebling from Not Impossible, who worked on this extensive, huge project for an ALS patient that's related to iWriter. So I want to send some of his work your way shortly. Mm -hmm. But how was, um, did you get a sense of his emotions? Like, like if you were to design or redesign um, the voice system or the iWriter, what would it be? I wonder, you know, mm -hmm. for you as a filmmaker, everything's so visceral to you, um, for you to connect with people. Did you, were you able to connect with him or you feel very differently when connecting with him? That's an interesting um, thought. You know, we had the actual great fortune pre-pandemic, we started filming the documentary. So I actually was in his space for three film, three separate film sessions. He's got the most radiant blue eyes and his eyes are still, it's like, boy, the windows to the soul. I mean, you don't, nothing else is moving, but those eyes are speaking everything. So we had some really tight shots, really close up. Um, I didn't, I felt like actually more of him was present. If that makes any sense. I yeah. felt, I feel such a deep heart. I mean, the whole room was crying at one point. It's not just me. Like Dylan transcends all of the disabilities and it doesn't just come through his eyes, it comes through his skin. I'm gonna start crying now, just thinking about it. Um, he is, is, is just magnificent um, human being. And yeah, so no, I, I, and I wouldn't change his voice um, because this is the voice he has now and he cherishes it. He mm -hmm. cherishes that he has an ability to still share with the world. If that were taken away from him, I don't, he has more or less said he doesn't want, you know, he has his advanced directive. If he loses the ability to use his eyes, cut him off because this is his way to express himself in this world. So, right. yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite profound how much a human being can convey with so little. Oh, I mean, maybe that the moment you start talking, it, it made all the sense to me as well. And um, sorry about this echo that I'm creating, possibly. I don't hear it. Don't hear oh, it. perfect. Um, and the moment you start describing the situation, oh, it just made so much sense that I realized when I'm was able to, when I'm able to make more connections with people, oftentimes it's not through words. And I even dare to say that words are often distractions to how you connect with certain people. And I also noticed since my journey as a content creator in 2014, interviewing a, a really big variety of people, I noticed how much more connected I am with people when they're um, accepting, warm, something very visceral happening um, that's com completely bypassed their speech, the way they even, you know, carry themselves from 
like an outfit perspective. You know, some people are like, oh, they're just stunning. They're really good looking. And therefore, you know, you're kind of drawn to them. But then I, I for some reason, I feel like ever since I started the journey of actually listening intently for my podcast, um, I learned so much about that person. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though podcast feels like very audio centric, but at the same time, I realized a lot of what I was able to take in actually had nothing to do with audio. Uh, yeah. So, thanks. you know, you're making me think, Shay. Because um, yeah. okay. my when I got into filmmaking, I was I was a photographer before I did film, like a lot of people, um, and I became kind of obsessed with the still frame as telling a story. I was, you know, Gregory Crudson and these like quirky kind of Hitchcockian type of like what's happening in that snapshot right there. And so that's sort of what propelled me into telling, you know, getting more into the, the filmic realm. But even then it was, I was so um, drawn to the aesthetic. I mean, to a fault, I think my first couple of films, they're, they're beautiful, but they're just almost like, where's the story, you know? Like there's so, I was the attention to the detail, everything was storyboarded out to like the T and I love that, but it's it's been a journey for me to be where I am now, mm-hmm. where I'm not even having control over the setting. Um, people are shooting from their own living rooms on their own smartphones. Many of them, I, you know, they don't know their dirty laundries in the background. They haven't brushed their hair. You know, none of that aesthetic is being taken care of. But the content is just like above and beyond anything that I ever could have controlled um, before. So anyway, yeah, you just kind of made me think of like, wow, that's that's the trajectory that as for me in my personal journey as a filmmaker, I guess that's what I've been, I've been seeking truth. And, and I'm now thanks to the pandemic, <laughs> we don't even have film crews in, in these people's homes. They're just turning on their phones and talking. So what could be more true than that? Isn't that crazy when, you know, you come from this background you just described for people who don't know, I mean, storyboarding and that whole process could take months or even years budgeting and having to make sure that you get everything, every B-roll and, you know, a huge crew, what you see on screen is barely like 2% of the actual production that goes into it. And here we are, a lot of people who are very uncomfortable in front of the camera, um, or I notice even some of the late night show, show hosts will be literally in their living room with a very mediocre background and audio quality are now, you know, for for about a year, they were hosting these shows from their living rooms with their plaid shirts and, uh, you know, hair <laughs> imperfect. And it just, it's eye-opening. And people are, some people, I know maybe not everybody, a lot of people seem to really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe as a culture, we're, well, I think the, the next Gen Z to, I think they're wanting more truth. They're wanting more truth from brands. I hear that from my husband all the time in his brand work there. It's a generation that wants transparency. They want truth. They want um, uh, value, um, not like monetary value, but but um, moral value. And so maybe we're just as a collective moving more in the direction. Mm, yeah, it, I still, I'm still, I'm always going to love, you know, Handmaid's Tale is incredible. And the cinematography just blows my mind and I'm obsessed with it. So I, I can never fully get rid of 
my love of, of setting the stage beautifully too. Mm, I would love to explore, you know, what inspires you. But before we talk about like, you know, this a little more rainbow um, type of content, I want to kind of dive in a little deeper to acknowledge and address people's fear when they don't click on, when they choose not to engage with people with disabilities, with chronic illness, uh, not just people in person, but I mean like content out there is uh, for me recently working on the disability project for Unable Disabled, um, working with BJ. Uh, I have to say, and also there's another project called Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions, giving some shout outs to these projects. But a lot of people are like, Ugh, I, re- I realized that when I was posting them, sometimes people are like, that's nice, but you know, they're not going to subscribe. They would choose not to engage. Not everybody, but I like when people are being honest to say, look, I, you know, like I have enough problems in my life and I am a fearful person. And this, this makes me concerned. This, I fear what the reality could bring. And working on some, another medical project recently, just even on the what is type of cancer. I remember that spreadsheet just went on, even just breast cancer alone. The list is like the type of, the types of breast cancer just like went on for miles. I'm thinking, and then last night I, this is just cancer alone. Uh, Last night I remember looking and says about 39.8% of all human beings at one point in their life will be diagnosed. That's almost one in two people. Mm-hmm. And so that's reality. Not, you know, not necessarily everybody will be di- diagnosed at stage four, wherever, you know, get there before they pass. Um, but it's still something really serious. And a lot of that has to do with old age. We live a lot mm-hmm. longer than we used to. So I guess that's a long way of saying, maybe we don't know the answer, but what is a, what is the reason or how do we approach people with this type of projects in general? Because I know that they give me a tremendous amount of joy. Yes. Um, Yes. I'm so glad that you asked this question. This is, this is the reason why, you know, I got 12 rejection letters from the grant, you know, they're not saying that everyone just is like, ah, I don't want to hear it, but they have to listen to what audiences out there want to watch. And I do, I even have family members who have said, I love what you're doing, but it makes me so sad, you know, but that's, I, I followed that conversation with one of my family members and said, well, what makes you so sad? And she said, well, I haven't even watched it. And I'm like, well, just do me the favor of spending 10 minutes to watch it. And then let me know after those 10 minutes, if you still feel sad. Right. She was this, the concept of it is what's sad. But when she really gave herself that moment to go into it, she came out and said, I get it. Mm-hmm. I feel so uplifted. I feel so proud to be a human being. And it's a collective thing. We're not unfixed originally. Sure, it started with chronic illness, but it's not exclusive. We're all unfixed. We're all going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People in California's houses are burning down. People in Germany's, you know, are drowning from floods. There are things we cannot control in life. Mm-hmm. Unless you're superhuman, there's going to be something in your life between zero and 90 that you cannot fix. So, I mean, my goal, my hope is that the next podcast season, if I can get funding, <laughs> um, will be inviting two people to come together, one with chronic illness and one with another completely unrelated 
unfixed event in their lives and have start to have these mashup conversations so that we can see that this is not about these people over here. This mm -hmm. is about the human plight. So there's something not just for us to learn, because yes, there's tools that we can all walk away from these videos and these podcasts to learn from, but we can feel a solidarity. Yeah, I wanna add to that, and I'm so glad that you chase and follow that conversation, because as hard as it can be sometimes, you know, I remember in the past few years, um, I, I know a couple of people who, you know, really believed in Trump. And instead of saying, I can't be friends with you anymore, I actually did follow with some of the conversations. And, you know, some of the, those didn't go well. You know, some are trying to convince me, uh, you know, you, you don't, let me teach you about politics. And this is why it's right. It's funny, I don't even talk about politics. But there is a mystery of how people with chronic illness and disabilities actually live their life compared to the so-called the abled body uh, community. Because mm -hmm. I am utterly shocked by it myself. So an example would be, you know, Gustavo and I recently interviewed a gentleman, uh, Ryan, who is quadriplegic and so is paralyzed from the neck down. And he, he joined the interview with, I think, a combination of iWriter and, and, you know, he was basically moving some of the devices with his mouth. And I don't know what he was doing exactly, but he was able to call into the Zoom meeting. He was able to mute, unmute himself, turn video on or off more quickly than my regular guests, mm -hmm. frankly. And um, in fact, you know, at that same day, there was something totally hit me. Um, I have a couple of friends, you know, and we're trying to like, you know, be safe, hang out and maybe grab brunch or lunch every once in a while these days. And you often hear it's like, oh, I'm not feeling really well. I can't go or last minute changes. And meanwhile, um, you know, or, or people can't get any stuff done. It's like, I'm just feeling down today, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Ryan, who's quadriplegic, said, oh, Faye, you know, I got, I got 45 minutes left for the podcast. After that, I'm going to go to the beach and I have three meetings after this. So let's, uh, let's keep, keep moving here. Uh, he's not the only one. In fact, we interview, we ended up interviewing, I believe, two to three quadriplegic um, uh, people who identify uh, with this type of disability. And all of them were able to follow our Calendly link and schedule the, their interview, I believe, within five minutes of me sending the email. Yeah. And meanwhile, my regular guests are like, Fio, click on the link, I had trouble uploading my photo, and uh, I don't know what to, I mean, and it just, it's just crazy. And our, our friend, uh, Gustavo, who's born with PFFD, which means his um, right arm, his legs are not fully developed, and guess what? This gentleman coaches basketball, is going to compete in uh, master's swimming competitions and plays tennis about two hours at a time. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's a reality, guys. Yeah, problem solvers. People with chronic illness are problem solvers. Um, and just, you know, to, to add to that, though, so I can speak to the, you know, the other side of chronic illness, there's often, there's also, mm. um, you know, there's so many different systems in the body that can break down or get confused. And so I'm in the invisible illness category. And so while we may look good, we also are those ones that have to cancel last minute because suddenly the room is spinning and, you know, we can't get out of bed and it's not because we don't want to, but we literally cannot focus our eyeballs or the, you know, the fog in our head is so thick that we can't remember you know, what we were supposed to do that day. So mm -hmm. there is this incredible like resiliency and um, ability to 
problem solve and just, you know, get shit done. Yeah. And there's also this tremendous vulnerability of our will wants to do everything, but our bodies are saying, can't do it. So, you know, I just wanted to, I'm doing, working on a mini series right now for an organization and it's, uh, we've cast nine vestibular disorder patients. So people with chronic balance issues. Um, and so it hits home to me and all of them are, it's invisible. They all look like there's one woman, she's Colombian and it's an incredible artist, beautiful, beautiful artist. Um, and, you know, she said, just in her latest submission, she said, you know, if we're not in a hospital bed, mm-hmm. people think we're lying because and she gets up and she works at an ad agency. She's beautiful. She wears her great outfits. Um, and then she comes home and crashes and she doesn't want to give up that life, but she's giving up so much more of, you know, who she is and her relationships after friendships, all of that, because it's overwhelming um, what she endures in her head. Um, Another woman is a BBC, she was a BBC journalist, RuPaul. She said it really well. She said, it's like my leg got cut off, but nobody could see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, anyway, I just wanted to give that, I was thinking about it too in your podcasts with Gustavo, because there's, there's two sides to this. There's, man, I mean, when the, f- I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not in a wheelchair, so I can't, I'm not, I can't express, you know, what that experience is like, but mm-hmm. there is something when people can see what you're enduring and what you're struggling with, mm-hmm. that is a little, it's helpful sometimes yeah. because when you can't see it, like, well, do I tell somebody right now that the room is spinning or do I just slowly back this conversation up against the wall so I can press my elbow on it and continue this conversation without them knowing, you know, so yeah, the invisible disability or, you know, how our body uh, bodies will treat us is really, really hard, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in recent years, I learned a lot about the fact and, you know, make me reflect on my own actions and behaviors when I was younger, you know, being in my 30s now towards my late 30s. And I get to know so many women who don't have children and sitting at, you know, brunch tables and people are saying, so you guys just want to live your single life, right? So you just don't want any responsibility. You don't really like children, do you? These things come up all the time. And what people don't realize is there's so many women out there, not only just with miscarriages, but also we can't have kids. There are a lot of unexplained infertility. So many un- unexplained, mean, meaning doctor cannot pinpoint there's anything wrong with a part of your body. And and then I, you know, and I went to explore in these communities and realize how just helpless these women, how sh- how shameful they felt. Like yeah. even the word shame was associated with such conversation. Well, you know, nobody, not even doctors, can pinpoint the origin of what, what was wrong. And then you know, go through rounds and rounds of IVFs at a risk of, you know, developing cancer or something that could be really bad happening to their bodies. So um, yeah. I, I think it's so worth pointing it out. And so what... I wonder, like, should what should people do in this case, right? Like, should people then just voice themselves maybe with the people they trust, their close family and friends? Is there a way to maybe bring it up um, without, I don't know, like productively have a conversation um, and to make their lives easier as opposed to hiding or feel ashamed for the chronic illness or otherwise? 
I'm I'm learning that from this doing this mini series right now. I didn't do that. I I isolated. I lost some friends. I mean, they stuck it out. They kind of go from like concern to then pity. And then they're like, you're still dealing with this a month later, a year later, two years later, like, Mm -hmm. and then they just start to fall away. And it's not their fault. I get it. They're like, what the hell is going on with this person? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's, you know, some people will probably just fall away anyway, but I think transparency and honesty up front, educating. Um, we have this lovely young man who's from India who, you know, he just started pulling out documents on Google and YouTube and just sending it to his family and friends and saying, look, this is not in my head. Mm-hmm. Like the Educating people, bringing them to your doctor's appointments, bringing your loved ones, your, those kind of things on um, learning now to do um but it's it's hard because we don't want to be associated with it It, there's just such a balance you know you go to a party you're not like hey buddy the room's spinning (laughs) 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 when is it ever appropriate (laughs) right yeah i i think so i think there is that line of people who who truly love us, really care for us, they will come through if they choose to. But they, you know, um, but if people choose not to, it's also their choice. I think sometimes we just have to make it a little bit more clear and be more upfront sooner than than later. And I know it's easier said than done, but for people who are watching this, I think it's, you know, it might feel risky, um, but sometimes it's just like, I, I almost feel like it's the same as going out to be a freelancer, leaving your full-time job, what seems really steady and secure may just be a facade and it's maybe yeah. better, you know, to to talk about it. And I didn't even address the fact that when you mentioned uh, um, advanced directives is something that I learned um, as well recently. And, and also uh, I think it's never too soon or too early to find your healthcare proxy to actually have these conversations. Uh, don't just assume that this is gonna be your body forever. And there are moments that might happen when you have no time to prepare for it. There's no time for you to find proxy form, advanced directive form, and make those decisions. So, um, you know, choosing someone to, to do that. And it's so naturally for you, Kimberly, because you're, you're so familiar with this world. But for a lot of people, that is just so new and unthinkable um, to them. There's a, there's a woman in Seattle. Gosh, I wish I could remember. She had a really clever name. She started throwing parties to get people to do their advanced directives. Um, And literally they'd be like, ah, it was such a clever name too, but it was just like, come and drink wine together. And you didn't have to be able to be friends. It was literally like something you'd sign up for. There'd be a lawyer there. There'd be someone who could answer all your questions. There'd be the paperwork, lots of pens, and people would walk away with new friends, a nice buzz, and all their paperwork done. (laughs) Wow. Oh my goodness. That is amazing. Um, Wow. So I, you know, I want to kind of pivot a little bit. And there's some fun areas that when you mentioned people with chronic illness are problem solvers, I love that because I, I feel the same way being an immigrant, you know, you can't find any jobs. If you without a U.S. citizenship or green card, you won't get until 15 years later. What do you do? And, you know, mom being here, she has her, uh, you know, chronic illness to deal with. And we're getting used to that. And I, try to help her find health, physical therapists and all that stuff. Um, so I would love for, for you to share with us, like how um, maybe things people can relate to right away. Do you 
meditate? Um, do you, are there certain shops or even products? I mean, none of this is sponsored, obviously, mm-hmm. that it gives you peace of mind and helps you get through the day a little bit easier. Okay. Um, well, I'll show you one right now. Oh, we can exchange. I can share some of mine. <laughs> I'm standing on here because I, I sit standing is easier for me because of the motion that I feel in my head. So I can, if I'm sitting still, I'm at my worst. Sitting still is so hard for me because I feel the sensation. So anytime I can distract my brain and create more proprioception, it helps. Um, so this foam pad, it's about two inches thick. Do you I'm going to make you feature you. <laughs> all right. And I stand on this thing all day long. And, and it, yeah. it's just like, it allows, you know, I'm constantly moving my knees. I'm constantly mm-hmm. shifting my weight. Um, I do alternate to a cutting a chopping block so that my brain doesn't get so used to this comfy, squishy thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that, um, that I can't adapt to the rest of the world. So I alternate a little bit, but that is for anybody that has proprioceptive balance issues or vestibular problems. That thing is a lifesaver for me. Um, probably not super relatable to everybody. The other thing, breathing, mm techniques. I have my breath work app at every hour. I hear my phone go (laughs) and it just gives me that extra reminder there. You can go into it and say, I want five minutes of stress relief. I need my brain to work better. Whatever that is, I'll go in often and use that to just, um, Remind myself to breathe. Yeah. How I can get lost in an edit, like you know, I don't. Sometimes I think I hold my breath for twenty minutes. You know, yeah. so breathing is really, really important. Um, you know the name of the app by chance? I think it's Breathwork. Let me just pull it up here. Yep, it, it it's cute too. It has like fun little pictures with it, and it and it has. Um, you can have auditory cues with it. Why is it? Ooh, breath, so breath work, W-R-K, right? Breath work. Yeah, this is what it looks, the home screen. Okay, yep, with the, like the bubblegum colors. Yep, so it's yeah. breath work, works about as uh, W-R-K, breath work, yeah. one word. Oh, there cool. For anxiety, sleeve, energy, looks really cool. I, I love that. that. Um, and, you know, literally, like... Who doesn't have three minutes, if you can see mm-hmm. that, three minutes to, to breathe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> a little bit of a minute setting. So even if you only have one minute to breathe. <laughs> yeah, that makes a huge difference. And mm-hmm. same thing with people with um, Apple Watch, too. It comes, you know, comes built in with, oh, no, you can take breathe for one minute, three minutes, or five minutes. Yeah. And it's funny because... Um, you know, my mom actually is one of the few people who will learn. She's going to walk in and she thinks she will not be seen, but she will be seen in this live stream. Uh, and, uh, you know, and she actually follows like sometimes five minutes. And the magic thing that happens is after five to 10 minutes, she actually falls asleep on the beanbag somewhere in this house. And, and she feels super relaxed. <laughs> That's so awesome. Well, and she comes in. Hi, mom. (laughs) Exactly. She just, she's like very serious. But I, yeah, I love the funny things people don't really talk about or get to see these things. But yeah, 
you know, I have my chair. I'm standing right now. My standing desk is, you know, maybe this one is like about $200. Um, and I just keep every day, like every other hour or so, I'll, I'll be sitting, I'll be standing. I have a little lumbar support, maybe just like uh-huh. rest. I have this pad that I sit down, sit on every once in a while. I do switch it up. And yeah, yeah. and then I was going to say, like, I don't know whether you're into like these peppermint or inhalers in general. Um, so these things are really cool. Oh, I forgot to sure. bring your screen back. Let me see there. Yeah. Yeah. So these are, these are very, uh, oh, I was pointing at the wrong camera, but what's interesting. Why is this so blurry? Oh, these are like peppermint inhalers. I'm going to list some of the links. There's oh, some, yeah. yeah. There's so many of them on online on Amazon and you can just get them. There's another one called Sage. I think S-A-J-E It's all organic, but it, it's a very mild scent. Whereas these ones from Thailand, they're strong. I mean, you just literally like when I feel a little dizzy, I might, I might want to send some of these to you. I'll send send that to, to me. My whole, I, my, even my neurologist says um, peppermint is good for vestibular migraine. So um, we need, my whole cast in the mini series needs to know what that product is. Um, oh my God. So yeah. great. You can get them on eBay. I think on Amazon as well. They're shipped from Thailand and they're super strong. They're roller. These are inhalers and also rollers that you can yeah. put near your temples and, and it just, you got to find ways to um, find something that works for you and not, you know, even for me, perhaps I don't qualify to be on your podcast or anything. I don't have a chronic illness that, that, that is, you know, severe or anything. I try to, but still as we age, I feel like, you know, back pain, neck pain, migraines are, are coming on site and it's so easy to push aside to say, Oh, this, this has nothing to do with me. I'm just going to ignore it. And it actually gets worse. So yeah. Daily routines are like yoga stretches in the morning, in the afternoon, daily walks help me tremendously. Yeah. Hiking for sure. I have this also migraine blocking glasses. I don't know if you've heard of the, these ugly things. There's also, if you really want to go for it, the, if you, oh, you probably can't see they're green tinted. Oh, no it's way. So I only have these for like $10. That, yeah. This color is, it's some, does something to the brain and it's, uh, lowers the, or raises the migraine threshold if you use that. So indoor or outdoors, um, you can wear them whenever it doesn't matter. You know, I, I sometimes wear them on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> the screen is kind of like the biggest trigger for me. So it yeah. depends on what kind of uh, day I'm having, but I have all kinds of little migraine reducing devices. Um, but if I had none of that, the gear, the gadgets, Sniffing trees, mm-hmm. taking breaks, regular breaks, going outside and just purging the thoughts of the day and being surrounded by wild things. That is, you know, the best medicine. Oh, and you live in Oregon currently. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We moved thanks to the whole, you know, the dizziness. And when that all started, we were right downtown Portland. And mm-hmm. I just, it was miserable. The garbage trucks and there's a, it's called hyperacusis. Often people, when they start these developing these disorders, like the sound of my husband clearing his throat was like forks in my ears. Um, mm-hmm. Everything is amplified. Mm-hmm. So as you you know, can imagine living in the city was just like nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we sold, we sold our house and we first, we moved to our favorite little town in Oregon called Manzanita. It's on the Oregon coast. 
uh-huh. population 700. And we lived there for a year in my friend's Airbnb. She just rented it, did a long-term rental for us. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know where the hell we were going to go, but we just, you know, we needed to get away. And we lived on this sleepy coastal town (laughs) and commuted into Portland. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in the, you know, the horrible stages of this. So I wasn't working at all. Um, I couldn't even look at a screen. So I was, I started, um, needle felting. Have you heard of needle felting? No. What is that? <laughs> this, I became obsessed with it. Um, it's wool. I don't know if you can kind of yeah, see. Yeah, I can see. It's so cute. What is- these ah. shapes. Um, I, they're, it's, it's, a, it's basically a process of taking big lumps of wool and needles and you poke it and agitate the wool enough that it becomes really solid and stiff. And mm-hmm. you do that couple thousand times and you can create little shapes and then you sculpt with it. So this is all just, it's all just wool. There's nothing, there's no form inside. If you wow. can, I, just, I started to do this whole like wrinkled, wrinkled cat series. If you can kind of see their wrinkles. You, you made this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it took, I mean, that's all I did. I literally could not look at a screen for two years. So I did this whole series oh of like, Wrinkled cats, hairless cats. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it saved my life, really. Um, Jeez, I love wow. these guys. This is so cool. But I, te- you know, I did some commissions with them, but it was like, it takes me months, months and months to do those. So it's like, what do you, what do you charge? <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't sell these things. So they're all over the house. Um, but it saved my life. And, and that's actually something for the creatives that are listening to this. When life throws a shit storm at you, we still need to create. Like I am somebody who can't, I just can't watch Netflix all day. Like right. I, I need to feel a purpose and it doesn't have to, you know, my purpose became making hairless cats. It, it's like the most absurd thing in the world, but it got me out of bed every day and it made me feel, um, distracted my brain um, from the sensation. It, it, it gave me meaning for a while. And I think when you have that, that gene, the creative gene, you just have to constantly be making something. Something. And this, so they, they really were, they saved my life. Oh, I can so relate to that. And I think a lot of people can. And to find, I think, when you are able to create something, even that's not the thing that you're used to creating or the thing you create to make a lot of money, to make yourself, your your family proud, you got to be creating something. And that looked phenomenal. I, I, you know, I could never imagine you can make that out of wool. And, um, it's fun. And- if you have any sort of obsessive compulsive tendencies, <laughs> it's super fun. If you don't, then you'll just be annoyed within five minutes. But because literally this is what you do for hours. <laughs> <laughs> we all have to find something that works for us, right? And um, you know, not every every day for creator needs to be the same. We, you know, we talk about productivity and all these videos rank super high on YouTube. But at the end of the day, are you really gonna be in that mode of creating? You know, when I created YouTuber Kit, um, I was literally 40 documents, worked on for a month on end every day, right? Like I feel like not typing enough, not doing enough, and this is not done. But then uh, after that, you almost need a recovery phase or something mm-hmm. more mindless to do. And that's actually really healthy as opposed to 
thinking, oh, I'm not being productive. Like, how do I go back yeah. to that stage? I think everything, our life and our body uh, also kind of ebb and flow in a really beautiful way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've taken up your one hour already, but I gotta, you know, I have some friends who have messaged me to talk about your beauty routine. Everything we talked about has nothing to do with like why we need to look perfect or look really good. But um, I do love the fact that even though you're, you're saying you don't really, you're not feeling necessarily your best today, but your skin is clear. I mean, your hair is like nice and soft and, you know, you don't ever put on so much makeup. Um, so what is your, is, do you have a routine at all like you do? I, I, um, I mean, I have really oily skin, so thanks grandma for that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I do actually, I have been cleansing with oil for probably 15 years. So oil, I, I don't believe in soaps on my skin. Ooh. I cleanse with oil, you know, it's not like safflower oil. It's actually like a facial cleansing oil, but I think that cleansing with oil is so nourishing. I did go through when I was in my teenage years, I had, you know, pimples and puberty, all that stuff. And I was, you know, just taking all, all of that off of my skin. I thought it was like the enemy mm -hmm. um, and it just made things worse. So I'm also, I use glycolic acid, like there's no tomorrow. I love glycolic acid and that just sloughs off the top layers of skin. So, and it doesn't, I doesn't sting. I don't, it's, I don't even know what the percentage is. I think it's small 2L, T-U-E-L is the brand that I use. It's just mm -hmm. clear. And it is like, it helps everything else just go in to your skin. Mm. Other than that, that's, that's, those are my two main things. Like you got to cleanse your skin with oil and then you got to strip all that dead shit off. Yeah, um, glycolic, and I do it. I do glycolic in the morning. I do glycolic in the evening. I put it underneath. I just put it underneath everything. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I have not. I mean, I tried oil, and it's been. I think it's true. Like, like I had pretty bad acid reflux for several years in my early thirties, and I didn't realize that so much of it has to do with not having enough acid in your stomach as opposed to, you know, mm -hmm. or I don't know, it's just really weird chemistry of maybe producing too much, but actually a lot of it is producing too little. Um, mm -hmm. And same thing when you have oily skin, a lot of the times actually you don't want to use these like tea tree oil to kind of strip away the oil. You actually need to nourish your your skin even more. I love how counterintuitive and helpful that is. It is, totally. The other thing I learned, and this is from watching my 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 aunt, um, no, not Cher, my aunt Chris, as a kid, she had the gorgeous lashes, just like lashes for miles. Yeah. And I remember I'd go into the bathroom when she was getting ready in the morning because I thought she was so beautiful. And she would, she would put Vaseline, which I'm not nuts about, but she would put Vaseline on her lashes. That was, she never wore mascara. She was just like this petroleum product. <laughs> all over she'd even kind of like rub it in a little bit so her lids were shiny so early on I started using chapstick on um, my my lashes because mascara anyway just always gets all over my face I think mm -hmm. you get oily skin anyway so um chapstick on your eyelashes is number one I mean because they never break they never break you know they're just constantly got this like layer of lube on them so do you, you, put much, you don't, that's it. Like you don't even put anything else. I don't have any mascara on right now. Just, I mean, you can't really see anything. <laughs> right. But just cha chapstick. Chapstick. 
Yeah. You know, how do you apply it? You literally just use fabric. <laughs> you don't even have to be, you know, you just. <laughs> oh my God. Keep going, please. Like, do you, do you use anything else to prime your face? Like you're, I know we're all um, at home most of the time. I mean, any, any other tips? Like, I don't know. Um, that's it. Do, I'm trying to think, what did I do this morning? I mean, cold water, splashed my face with cold water. I put the glycolic on and then I put my lotion on um, and then I do the chapstick. I mean, now I do chapstick on my eyebrows too, um, just because I feel like if it works, I'm like, Oh my God, this is, I remember the, I remember years ago that my big fat Greek wedding, it's like this guy, the dad running around with Windex and trying to fix everything with Windex. Uh, I think you, you should have your chapstick. That could be your breakthrough YouTube video. Seriously, how my, my beauty routine. And I think all the chapsticks company is going to come after you. And those videos will have like 3 million views. Totally. That's so true. Oh my God. And I could use a whole drawer full of chapstick because I go through it so fast. <laughs> oh, they, they'll send you hundreds. And uh, <laughs> so I was, so no, no eyeliner, like eyeshadows or anything. Oh my no, God. I'm bad at that stuff. I'm not good at it. I mean, I believe I have, I'm just terrible. I mean, the, the stuff I have in my, I have it mm -hmm. and it's, you know, probably this size of stuff that I have. It's super tiny and it's been in there for probably 25 years. You know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm a bit of a farm girl. <laughs> I grew up in Wisconsin. I t don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know why I'm just a little bit awkward and stupid and I love it mm -hmm. when people do it well, you know, like, whoa, I just, but I also think I have one of those faces that doesn't look good with it. I just put a little bit of eyeliner on and I, I just look weird, I think. So I never got into it. That is so funny. Oh my God. <laughs> I cannot get over this chapstick situation. And <laughs> it holds everything in place. I mean, not to make fun of the situation, but you notice all the supermodels when they tell all the supermodels, including Victoria's Secret, you always hear everybody, I grew up on a farm. I'm like, why are all the supermodels? <laughs> maybe there's something to it maybe because everybody learned when they're little to, to use vaseline and like chat <laughs> i'm browsing eyes and oh, wow that's it might be it might be that you know or they they grew up drinking you know a giant glass of milk in the morning or you know uh, it, it, there is something to be said about that wholesome lifestyle i lived in new york city um an undergrad for a summer I was there on a, a grant studying urban ethnobotany of all things. And um, wow. I felt so gross. I remember, um, oh, I, I mean, I, I was in college in Colorado. So still, you know, very mountains and fresh air and just getting to um, New York City and the smog and the heat and the traffic. And mm -hmm. I, I felt really just yucky all the time. And, 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 and I think there is something to be said about just a little bit of a fresh air um, experience is, is good for our souls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seriously does. I mean, I moved from a, a suburb to a, another suburb with fewer people from Newton, Massachusetts to Grafton, Mass. And what a shift, you know, I look out, even though it is artificial because it's a golf course, but I could feel um, every day I walk around without a, without a lot of people next to me and I finally can claim like, 
I love living here. I can imagine living here for the rest of my life. I don't care what my, especially Chinese friends, want to make fun of me for because I grew up in Beijing with now like 14, 15 million people. Um, So I love it here. I loved living in Freiburg, Maine with like 20,000 people when I was 17. And um, yeah, this is... This is really cool. And I love the fact that during the pandemic, it wasn't for a live stream or like doing a YouTube video. I, I would absolutely be like barefaced. Like I wouldn't put anything on. And finally, you know, working in consulting marketing for, for a decade, like every day you're supposed, you're expected to look a certain way. And now I feel like my, my skin, everything can actually breathe. I think I probably look better than when I was in my 20s even. Yeah, yeah. Like our skin, it does breathe. It's a it's a respiratory organ. So um, you're right. There's something to be said about. And I do question sometimes whether, because women tend to have more chronic illnesses, women have more autoimmune disorders. I sometimes do wonder if that isn't all of the perfumes and chemicals and shit that we put yeah. on our bodies. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I definitely, definitely developed, uh, unfortunately, eczema. And I, I saw one of your podcast guests also talked about it um, as well. I was thinking, how do I get rid of it? But I think it's just living a lifestyle. Like you said, breathe more, remember to breathe and, you know, treat yourself with, with kindness um, yeah. is really the, the theme. So I, I mean, I could go on forever, but I know I, know, I, I just want to keep talking with you. I, I think I think I'm moving into this house that you're going to create someday for elderly ladies. We're all going to be creatives together and keep our podcasts and videos going. I'm moving in, so save me a room. <laughs> oh, trust me, I'm serious. For people who don't know what we're talking about here, so um, you know, Kimberly and I did talk about like something that sometimes we're being confronted. We don't have kids. And I know a lot of creators, a lot of my close friends don't have kids. Maybe that's not by accident because my my great friends with kids have no time for me whatsoever for the next 18 years. And um, as a result, I really think that we could come together. And then the most common questions we're thinking about is, oh man, when we were, when we were old and who's going to take care of us? Uh, I honestly don't think about it so much because with this creative energy, I feel like mm-hmm. putting the right people together we can really live a really good life. I told my mom, I said, I already told Kimberly, we're going to like grow old together. And she's like, I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding. So I'm building a, yeah, this is a big house with a yeah. basement and um, we'll have close to, I haven't really talked about it because it's a pandemic, but my mom being here, you know, this house is about 3000 square feet and the basement is another a little less than a thousand, I think. But, mm-hmm. you know, I decided that truly it's not for me. I want to build a home where I can invite my friends over if they need help. If I'm going to come together to create, I literally invited my um, content manager, Anna, who lives in Italy, my producer, Herman, in Sweden. I'm going to just like literally make this into a, a creative space and people. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Well, imagine the stories that we could tell. And, you know, it makes my mom is 76. She's runs circles around me. She is healthier and just gorgeous. She lives in Boulder, Colorado. And so all of her friends are all this, you know, they're just energetic and engaged with the community. And she, you know, this is the best time of her life. She, mm-hmm. she says that being 76 is, is, you know, the best years she's having. So, you know, and some of them, you know, are still kind of searching for their man or their, you know, my mom's a widow. And so she's like, no, I don't need that. (laughs) Like I have my friends, I have my paint studio and we have, you know, all these different events. She goes to take classes at the university. 
They just let her take classes for free. You know, it's just like, why not milk life for what it's worth? And when you're at that age and if you have a healthy body, just go for it. Yeah. And it's so lovely to say my, my mom also as a widow, I mean, I know both of us lost our dads and, um, and then to watch them make decisions, kind of keep going with their lives and, um, and then their intention to be like, oh, I'm never going to be my daughter's burden. I will be very independent, which my mom was and still is today. And for us to have these conversations, I love living with you. I want to, you know, I want to care for you. And mm-hmm. she contributes so much to my life, not just cooking, cleaning, all that stuff, but mm-hmm. that creative uh, inspiration and energy. Um, so, so much to be said about that, as opposed to, I too watch all her friends, some whittled to be still, you know, she's 69, to still be like, we got to have a men in our lives. And, you know, mm-hmm. women cannot be, you know, even people sending her messages that you should, really shouldn't be alone. You shouldn't live with your daughter. It's just so fascinating that women somehow are born with this burden since we're like 13, 14 years old about who to attract and, and how to stand mm-hmm. out into our 20s, 30s, and forever into our 70s and 80s, but we can choose to live differently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's so much wisdom that when you do choose your own life path, Mm -hmm. um, my mom, she's actually just recently said, I do a podcast, make another podcast and and only interview people over the age of 70 and ask them what they've learned. You know, in our culture, we put them away. We put them in homes. It's they're done. We don't want to hear from them anymore. It's kind of similar to chronic illness. It's too painful, but they have so much wisdom to share. Yeah. So, like, why are we hearing their stories? Yeah. And, and, and not just like, you know, the funny stuff, the funny things that grandpa tells about when he was, you know, a youngster, but the yeah. wisdom that they've learned over seven decades. Yeah, seven decades. And then some some of those latest decades are exponential. It's not like 70-year-olds equivalents to, you know, three and a half, 20-year-olds. It's like, it doesn't even work that way. It just living in a different time is so fascinating to me. And for for you, Kimberly, for anybody who's interested in exploring like even animations, um, Hayao Miyazaki, you know, is still still alive, does all these great animations. And I got so into all of them. And little did I realize that nobody was even on their cell phone for a fraction of a second in any of those films because he focused so much on you know, he's, a, he's just turned 80, I believe, and he focused so many of his stories on the sort of 1940s, 50s, 60s of Japan and, and also European countries. And every time I watch those films, I feel like I'm literally being transported to mm-hmm. those times and, and a time that I can relate to. I almost want to live in. Not They're not all rainbows and unicorns, and um, but it's just so fascinating. So I love the idea. Your mom's going to possibly start a show. Is that right? Well, she has a friend who has a, a radio show. So there, they live like two doors down from each other. So um, I said, get together with Lark and talk about doing this show because, you know, I, I'm, my schedule's full. <laughs> You're like, mom, please don't ask me to host another show. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my mom will do. My mom claims to do a project and then like put me as producer without permission. <laughs> that, that would totally happen with my mom. Okay. Yeah, totally. So. My mom's more of like the she's like I've got a great idea. You should do this, Kimberly. And I'm like, Mom, you're the one that just like paints all day. You've got tons of time. That's so funny. <laughs> My mom's also an artist, so they have something in common. 
That's amazing. Oh my gosh. So good to have you, Kimberly. I really want people to check out your work on social media, Facebook, Instagram, but also most importantly, YouTube, um, and be able to support your work. If this resonates with anybody, you know, you can certainly support Unfixed Media. Um, there's a donation button on their website, but just get in touch and maybe, you know, help refer the right guests after you listen and watch some of the stories. There are so many ways to help out and to stay engaged. And, you know, the creator community needs you more than ever. Um, so uh, whether you you see yourself as a creator or otherwise. So thanks again. Thank you. Oh, this is so wonderful, Faye. I just love spending time with you. And I can't wait till we get to meet in person someday. Absolutely. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team are chief editor and producer Herman Ceballos, associate producer Adam Leffert, social media and content manager Rose DeLeon, transcript editor Alina Ahmidova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Phase World. Thank you so much for listening.